We're going to look at the, uh, the middle of chapter 5, pages 96 through 107. First, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for the freedoms we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're thankful for a godly leadership, a godly church where the word is preached faithfully and truthfully. Help our hearts now, Lord, to open, to receive the truths of your word. Help us to understand the conscience. Help us to understand our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. To further your kingdom, in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So the middle of this chapter... Uh, on the book of conscience, I guess everybody knows that already. Uh, it's written by Andrew David Nasili, Nasselli, and J.D. Crowley. Uh, the first guy is a young college professor. The second guy has been a minister, uh, missionary in Cambodia for a long time. So he's probably close to my age. He and his wife got married the same year. Deborah and I did. 1980. Twelve principles and how to disagree. What are you laughing about? (laughs) Your parents probably were close. Twelve principles about how to disagree with other Christians on disputable matters. We're going to look at the first six, okay? We're going to look at, and and I'm going to go ahead and read them so you can follow along in the book if you want. But number one, welcome those who disagree with you, okay? We're going to read the scripture in a minute, but let's get a flavor of what we're, we're looking at. Number two, those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. Number three, those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental toward those who have freedom. Okay. Number four, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. Okay. And number five, assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God. That's an important one because if we assume that a fellow believer is focusing on the glory of God, that puts it in a different perspective, doesn't it? Okay. And number six, do not judge each other in these matters because we will all someday stand before the judgment seat of God. Okay, let's look at, uh, at the background. The background of this is the conscience helps us in our daily walk, okay? Um, I think Spurgeon said if, you, if your conscience is guilty all the time, you got a problem, okay? And the, and the word is being, uh, I guess, ignored, or you wouldn't have such a guilty conscience, Uh, I remember, has anybody ever heard of Herschel Hobbes? Yeah, a prolific uh, writer in the Southern Baptist Convention. Years ago, I read his autobiography, and he said that a lady had asked him if so-and-so was a such-and-such was a sin. And he said, yes, ma'am, for you it is. And her question was, why is it just for me? Because you asked me, was the answer. So it, there can be things that are sin to you and not to me. That's strange, right? That's, 
kind of moving out on a different plane from where we're normally at, right? We've already decided in a previous chapter that there, that, that modern, postmodern world does not recognize sin, right? I mean, sin is eating too much chocolate nowadays. Let's read the scripture. Uh, I want to read a, a note, first of all, regarding the principles of dealing with different degrees of conscience with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and this is a, a passage that came from Matthew Henry's, uh, <clears throat> uh, his commentary. And these are notes on, uh, comments on Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 6. And in fact, I think I'm going to read that scripture passage first. It's fairly short. Okay? Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. And this is the scripture passage for these six principles. Okay? As Romans chapter... 14, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So it's like warning us not to play God, right? This scripture. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Amen. So the scriptures teach us in these, and we're, we're talking about these uh, disputable matters. We're not talking, we, and it's been said probably every week, we're not talking about matters of, 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 uh, of uh, theological uh, strictness, importance, you know, salvation, uh, Christ, God, who God is, all these things. We're talking about, who's heard of the, the Council of Nicaea, the first council? Anybody? Yeah. 325, one of the primary topics of that council, the first one was, did with salvation, right? Athanasius versus Arius. Okay, that's very, very, very 
first, first rank. But one of the major issues at the Council of Nicaea, which is the one you think I'm going to say that I consider fairly trivial? Anybody? The date of Easter. It was the number two major issue at the Council of Nicaea. The date we will establish Easter on. There were things going on with the, the Jews and things going on with the Christians and Christian Jews on the date and the, when the month of Nisan occurred and think, different things. So they had to have this major ecumenical council, and it was a major one. The Apostles' Creed came from it. You know, we believe in God the Father, heaven and earth, you know. And Easter, the date we will celebrate Easter. I would argue that believers should celebrate Easter every day. Spiritually, right? The resurrection of our Savior, right? Easter, celebration in our hearts. But it was a major issue then, and it was resolved uh, amicably. But it took that to bring these things to conclusion. Lots of those occurred throughout the history of the church. So, let's see what Matthew Henry says before we look at the authors. Differences of opinion prevailed even among the immediate followers of Christ. Nor did St. Paul attempt to end them. Compelled assent to any doctrine or conformity to outward observances without being convinced would be hypocritical and of no avail. Attempts for producing absolute oneness of mind among Christians would be useless. Let not Christian fellowship be disturbed with strifes of words. It would be good for us to ask ourselves when tempted to disdain and blame our brethren, has not God owned them? I like that. We don't, we don't hear that kind of talk today. Has not God owned them? And if he has, dare I disown them? Let not the Christian who uses his liberty despise his weak brother as ignorant and superstitious. Let not the scrupulous believer find fault with his brother, for God accepted him without regarding the distinction of meats. We usurp the place of God when we take upon us to thus judge the thoughts and intentions of others which are out of our view. The case as to the observance of days was much the same. Those who knew that all these things were done away by Christ's coming, all these things were done away by Christ's coming, took no notice of the festivals of the Jews. Didn't matter. But it is not enough that our consciences consent to what we do. It is necessary that it be certified from the word of God. Take heed of acting against a doubting conscience. We are all apt to make our own views the standard of truth to deem things certain which to others appear doubtful. I think that's a, a nice rhetorical way of saying we all think we've got the right opinion. Thus, Christians often despise or condemn each other. 
that doesn't even fit together, does it? Christianity, you know, Christians doubting and despising one another doesn't make sense to me when I think about it that way. It's not what Christ taught. Thus, Christians often despise or condemn each other about doubtful matters of no moment. I've put this in my office because there, I had to look it up. Weight or importance, okay, moment in that day. So things that are of no weight are importance. The color of the paint on the, the renovated sanctuary or whatever. Um, whether or not I eat or drink or what have you. I mean, if all the believers in the days of the early church felt like, well, there are no other gods, so I can't be eating meat to another god, I'll eat whatever. And it's cheaper. Though some are weak and others are strong, yet all must agree not to live to themselves. No one who has given up his name to Christ, the emphasis there, given up his name to Christ, is allowedly a self-seeker. That is against true Christianity. And Spurgeon basically says you're not a believer if you, if you feel that way. That is true Christianity which makes Christ all in all. Though Christians are of different strength, capacities, and practices in lesser things... Yet they are all the Lord's, all are looking and serving and approving themselves to Christ. He is Lord of those that are living to rule them, of those that are dead to revive them and to raise them up. Christians should not judge or despise one another because both the one and the other must shortly give an account. A believing regard to the judgment of the great day would silence rash judgings. Let every man search his own heart and life. He that is strict in judging and humbling himself will not be apt to judge and despise his brother. We must take heed of saying or doing things which may cause others to stumble or to fall. The one signifies a lesser, the other a greater degree of offense, that which, that which may be an occasion of grief, grief or guilt to our, our brother. I call that the millstone items, right? The millstone. Anybody want to guess what a millstone weighed about? Two to 3,000 pounds around your neck and tossed in the ocean. And the, I think the implication there is that you can't get it off, right? So it's an extreme example of what would be better than to cause a brother and sis or sister in Christ to stumble. Serious, right? If we take a look at early early Roman history, and I know, I won't get started on it, but if we, <laughs> some of you are laughing, if we look at it though, the Roman army accomplished a lot by their unity and their working together. They interlocked their shields and they walked into whatever by command of their leader. They didn't break either. Even if one fell, one would step up and take his place. They put the old guys at the back. There's still books you can read that tell you what, how they did it. Put the old guys at the back with experience, and the new guys sort of second, and then the 
guys with experience out front. And guess who led, led the charge? The centurions. That's why they were so, I guess the word would be um, replaceable. I mean, they were, they died all the time. They were in the front. But this interlocking union in a physical war is what we need in a spiritual war, right? Okay, listen to this. We're at a spiritual war. We do not have the time to disagree over non-essentials. Okay? Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6.12, the next verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do we forget that? I do. I forget because I can't see it, right, with my eyes. So I forget that there's a war going on. And about the only time I remember, typically, is when I'm in church, right, getting a message. I go back out in the world, and I'm like, all I see is violence and war on television, but I don't see the spiritual war that's invisible. But it's going on. And the Bible warns us to put on the armor, and all, everyone in that day would have known about the armor because they saw it pretty regularly, right? That was a time when Israel was occupied by the Roman army, just like 200 nations are today occupied by the United States military. So I'm just saying that they understood what armor was for, and they understood discipline and not to break ranks. If Roman legionnaires broke rank in a battle, there was a punishment. Does anybody remember it? It's called decimation. Every tenth man in the squad or group that ran or took off or went back is put to death by the other nine, by stoning. So it didn't have to happen very often, right? All you had to do was hear about it, and you straightened up. You interlocked your shields and you marched together. You know, anybody seen any of the new movies about the testudo where they put the tortoise shell over the, with the shields and walk right into the middle? We as believers are called to do that in the spiritual battles that we face every day. And how can we do that if we don't work together as believers, right? If we're always arguing and debating and, you know, sitting over on the sideline complaining because something we thought was right, the other guy didn't think was right, We'll get overrun, right? We are in a spiritual war. So now that we know that, again, let's remember that Satan's... What's the definition of Satan? Anybody remember? We just say Satan, the devil. But if we understand his, the name, what the name means, then we'll see a little bit more about what we need to watch out for. The name Satan... In the Hebrew, 
and I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but Satan, Satan, it, it means, it's a generic noun meaning accuser or adversary. Accuser. We know that's what he did with Job, right? Remember that? And is derived from a verb meaning primarily to obstruct or oppose. So Satan is the opposition, the leader of the opposition. And sometimes we help him, unfortunately. Uh, Christ, our Redeemer, wonderful session on Ruth. I mean, I've talked about it all week. The kinsman redeemer, right? It's a type. Theologians call that a type. uh, A type of what Christ did for us. Christ, our redeemer, provided our atonement, right? Our atonement. The word is interesting because it was developed by William Tyndale, like way back, right? in his translation from the Hebrew and Greek into English, okay? Right before that time of Henry VIII. Tyndale couldn't come up or didn't have a word that would adequately describe what Christ did on the cross. So he made the word up. At one mint. We have been made at one mint with God through the work of Christ on the cross. Isn't that beautiful? We have been made at one-ment. We're at one with God. Man, you can walk out of this building today telling ourselves, due to the work of Christ, I'm at one with God. Hallelujah. Nothing can push you too far back, right? At one-ment. It's like goodbye. God be with you. Goodbye. So there's a lot to learn from the early teachers. But I love being at one with God. Oh, wow, we still got lots of time. Let's look at the chapter now. <laughs> we actually already read the scripture, so we, we've been in the chapter. Welcome those who disagree with you. Now, that's contra uh, for us, typically, to welcome someone that disagrees As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, okay? Concerning this area of disagreement on third-level matters, and the authors are quick to continue to remind us, these are third-level matters. These are not matters of salvation or who God is and, and his primary doctrine. Those who are weak in faith on the issues and those who are strong on faith should get along because they're both focusing on doing what they're doing for God. In his name, okay, believers. We're not saying that the faith, I'm down at the bottom of 97. Uh, We're not saying that the faith to eat and faith in Christ are completely unrelated. We believe that the more you understand what faith in Christ means, the more you will be set free from unnecessary regulations in our lives. One thing the enemy in any war or battle, whether or not it's a, a physical war or especially the spiritual war, And I'm a firm believer that God gave us all these pictures of the real world, or real world, the unreal world, to teach us about the real world, the spiritual world. C.S. Lewis said, you don't have a soul. You have a body. You are a soul. 
okay? Because the body's temporary, right? It's not really. But the soul is eternal, created in God's image. Okay. Look at the, the picture here of the, the arrows on page 98. <clears throat> on the far left, it's got stronger that eats meat that he knows has been sacrificed to idols because he, my belief is he knows there are no false gods. There are no real gods other than the Jehovah God, so he don't care. But in the middle with a circle is the guy that, or lady that eats meat sold in the meat market. And over here, a little to the right, is eat meat that is prepared correctly, so you gotta, it's got to be kosher or whatever. And then on the very far right is the weaker conscience that can't eat meat at all. Now, Peter got called for that, right? Rise, kill, and eat. And Peter was like, going to argue with God? I think that's important. And we can't make fun of Peter for that because we do the same thing. We may not say it that way, but we're like, no, I don't want to. We want to debate. We want to argue with God. It's kind of what I think the marriage is an example, right? We debate back and forth. So either you're on the left or you're on the right. But you should work together, right? And he brings up the addressing meat, holy days, and wine. I circled Nicaea there because it was part of the holy days discussion. Uh, But it's not at all, and I'm up at the top of 99 now, unusual for a person to have a strong conscience on some issues and a weak conscience on others. Or more accurately, stronger and weaker. So we can't say, oh, they are... I got a strong conscience. Because on something else, it's going to be a weak conscience. Okay? So it's best just to be quiet about that. Unless you're God and you're not, so we have to be quiet about that. A person of my parents' generation, that's why I looked up to see how old he probably was, so I'd know about when we were talking about there. But a person of my parents' generation told me, J.D., the Cambodian missionary, that she had one college roommate whose conscience would allow her to play with playing cards, but not with dominoes. Now, I'll confess my ignorance. I don't even know what a domino, you know, is about. So I've never had the desire. Maybe God spared me from the sin of dominoes. That was a joke. For any of those that are writing that down, it was a joke. (laughs) But maybe it's gambling. I don't know. I mean, I remember stacking them up and doing these things and pushing the first one and watching them fall, but that's all I knew about dominoes. Now, playing cards, that's different. But he had one friend, or his parents had one friend that wouldn't play with playing cards, and then on the opposite, one that would enjoy dominoes but not playing cards. (laughs) I'm sorry, but... And they must have been about my parents' age, uh, dad's age, which is 88. So uh, that's a long time ago that people probably thought that way. But and maybe some still do. That's fine. I'm not going to bring it to their attention. What this means is that we're responsible to obey both Paul's exhortations to the weak and to his exhortations to the strong. There are usually, there are usually people on either side of any given issue. 
You know, I used to hear it said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but if you had a Baptist committee with eight people on it, you'd have nine opinions. And I've been on some of those committees, so it's probably true. Who's right? Everybody. If they're focused on glorifying God, everybody's right about those disputable, trivial, scripturally trivial matters. And the scripture is the final judge on whether it's important or not, right? And he's telling us here on some of these things that it's not. Rise, kill, and eat, Peter. That's pretty clear, right? Put on the whole armor of God. Resist the devil and he shall flee. Fiery darts. They would quench their shields, their leather-covered wooden or metal shields in water the night before a battle and to quench the fiery arrows. So we're doing all those things in in a spiritual way, okay, every day. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on those who don't. We've already said that. Number three, those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental toward others. We don't have the right to judge anyway, do we? we? It's the scripture can judge, but the scripture has chosen not to condemn these folks that want to eat certain foods versus, you know, vegetarian versus meat eater or whatever. I sure hope that one's never found to be wrong. I do love a steak, just occasionally. So my point is, Are you playing God? Am I playing God? Have the right spirit. I'm in the middle of 101. Have the right spirit. Don't be judgmental toward others who are either more or less strict than you. Do not adopt a critical spirit, a condemning attitude. Have the right proportion. Keep disputable matters in their place as third-level issues. Okay, third-level. What time we meet what time we don't meet. What day you celebrate your birthday on. It doesn't have to be the exact day. It doesn't have to be at all. These are disputable matters. All of these things. That that was a joke. Those that take from Christians such such freedoms by their prohibition are inspired by the devil. Ulrich Zwingli, remember him? I mean, we... You know, he doesn't get his name brought up very often. It's usually only during the Reformation celebration do we talk about Zwingli. He and Luther had a, had a bit of a, a bout back and forth, and he died in a battle, which Luther said he shouldn't have been there in the first place. So he died young. But he made the statement here in the middle of page 102, those that take from Christians such freedom by their prohibition are inspired by the devil. This is why the same Paul who urged the strong to bear with the failings of the weak and, to, and not to please yourselves told the Colossian Christians something quite different. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. Okay? So we, technically we don't worship on the Sabbath, do we? Everybody knows that already, right? This is the Lord's Day. On calendars... Where is Sunday at on a calendar? Anybody? It's the first day of the week. It's the first day. 
Now that's starting to change with all this new stuff. You know, the CEs and the CEs or whatever. I like the ADs, right? The year of our Lord. But Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the Lord's Day, the day they came to, to celebrate and worship the Lord. The Sabbath is Saturday. You know, from six, what, six-something Friday to six-something Saturday. So we don't worship on the Sabbath. Well, we should worship every day. Down at the bottom of 102, he told the Romans, pursue what makes for peace. Pursue what makes for peace. And our feet are shod in what? Peace, right? Foundation. Up on the top of page 103, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. Uh, Should Christians celebrate Jewish holy days? This issue, which Paul is addressing here, illustrates the principle that on disputable matters, you should obey your conscience, right? Do we even talk about that anymore? I mean, Jewish holy days? I, I don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you get up in the morning and go, oh, this is the month of Nisan, and we need to celebrate. So we took care of that one, right? We're all in agreement. Whoa, we're all in agreement. We don't have to worry about the the Jewish holy days. God is the only Lord of our conscience. So when we have a question about what we think or believe in our conscience, we go to the scriptures. It's okay to go to other believers that are more mature than we are, but the danger there is that everybody's conscience is different. But the scripture is always accurate. It cannot fail. It cannot fail. That's amazing. We have a source of perfection, right? Not not Boaz, who kind of looked perfect, didn't he? He was a righteous man, but he's still a sinner. But the scripture, the word of God is the same as Christ, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos, which is another name for Christ, okay? So we have a perfect example of what to do if we have a question about our conscience, Up on the top of 106, assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God, right? The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and so forth. Notice how, next paragraph, notice how generous Paul is to both sides. He assumes that both sides are exercising their freedoms or restrictions for the glory of God. Wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church where everyone gave each other the benefit of the doubt on these differences instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything. Number six, do not judge each other in these matters because we will all someday stand before the judgment seat of God. If we thought more about our own situation before the judgment throne of God, I'm at the bottom of 107, we would be less likely to pass judgment on fellow Christians. We have been redeemed 
by Christ. We have been bought with a price, and we have been told not to judge. Is there more to it than that? Am I missing something? Does that kind of trump everything else? Love one another? I mean, Christ said loving God and then loving one another. We get impatient, don't we? As, as humans, we get impatient. We want to see results right away. We want to see results right away. Because God created the universe in seven days. Why can't I convert, call someone to convert in two weeks? We get in a hurry, and we don't want to let God do things in his timing. We want him to do things in our timing, or at least I do. I want to see results. And there are yes. Oh, I don't think he's saying we don't talk about them. I think what uh, the question, you can't hear the questions on the recording, just so you know. I found that out listening to a recording. Uh, you can't hear anything. So the question was, when we meet outside church, what do we discuss that is of importance? And I believe anything that is address, that addresses an issue at hand. So if evangelism is needed... We address evangelism, you know, uh, 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 things to do. If um, service to, you know, someone that needs help is important, we discuss that. Um, I think the key takeaway to this chapter is that we don't criticize one another. So if you're, a, you're helping God by doing this, and Scott is helping God by doing that, and you, have you ever noticed when missionaries come, they want you to go on the missionary field to their country? It's normal. It's human nature. But we have to sit down together, I believe, and we have to be willing to listen first at what's being said. And if we determine that it is glorifying God through the scriptures, then we work together to take it out into the world. Uh, as evangelism. Our primary function as believers is evangelism. To share. What did Christ tell us when he left? Go into all the world. There's no easy answers to any of these questions, but loving one another and working toward peace and working toward believing that your brothers and sisters in Christ their objective is to serve God also, even though it's maybe something different than we do, is important. I used to see the little uh, pamphlets that some of you guys kept in your offices and, and, and people would pick them up and read them, you know, J.C. Ryle and others, uh, that, that is a tremendous mi missionary effort. Uh, you know, just sitting with a customer uh, at a lunch table and talking the, about Christ and what he's done for you. See, we're all martyrs. We're all witnesses. That's just a witness word. We've 
most of we've killed them off, but the truth is we're all witnesses for Christ. And maybe something very insignificant that you say can change the world. We've all heard of Billy Graham, right? And I, I don't go this way or that way. I don't deal with those things. We're all accountable to God, right? But everybody's heard of Billy Graham, but has anybody ever heard of Mordecai Ham? Maybe a few of you that, that God used along with Billy Sunday to lead Billy Graham to Christ, to bring the message. You know, that's a cautious word. You know, I can lead you to that door and show you the way out. But I didn't do anything, did I? I didn't make the door. I didn't make you. So God uses his people in all kinds of ways. And we don't need to get caught up on disagreements on trivial matters. And everything, yes, Ben. Yep. Right. That's right. Oh, every day. It should be every day somewhere. Yes, Joel. Absolutely not. We should always we should be discussing the church and Christ everywhere we go, everywhere we do. It's part of evangelism and training each other to do the right things for Christ. We should never, ever, ever stop talking about Christ. It's part of the spiritual warfare. It keeps us strong, right? We're 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 sharpening our swords when we talk with each other about Christ. We just don't need to cut each other on the edge of the swords. Joel. Exactly. What's the old saying? Iron sharpens iron. We should be working together. It's part of the process of sanctification, learning from our brothers and sisters in Christ and going out into the world and putting what we learn into practice. It's part of our consciences modifying and changing. No. for their betterment and for yours. Our objective is to grow in Christ, and we grow with each other. Uh, We're like in this big school, and somebody's going to ask a question that you didn't or I didn't know the answer to, but 
when they asked that question, we sure were relieved, right? Because we didn't know the answer. And they asked the question we wanted to know the answer to. So everything we do should glorify God. That's the simple way of putting it. Now, we get caught up in our jobs, so our jobs, our occupations, our school, we have to work that in, right? One thing that I've done is worked in lunch, you know, where, and, and I've got guys I go to lunch with that won't, won't eat till we pray. And the prayers can be longer than just thank you for our food. They can get into calling God to bless with understanding and knowledge, wisdom. That's what we need to be better. And it's God's process of sanctification. If you are a believer, God will not stop sanctifying you. And so he teaches us each differently. We're all different. And there's no simple answer to any of these questions. Except staying on our knees, right? And praying and meditating to God. Yes. Say a little louder. I can barely hear you. Um, I know of a lot of folks in our church that I've used over the years to go to for guidance on different subjects, one of being witnessing and, and sharing Christ. Uh, many years ago, um, there, you know, there, there was, a, and we can't lose track. When we learn something, we don't stop studying it. Yes, um, where do I go to for, um, for training or help on what to say to others about Christ and to share Christ with others, in a nutshell? Did that capture the gist of what you were asking? We have a number of folks in, in the congregation that are very evangelistic in nature uh, and not, well, uh, I don't want to call out names right now, but uh, either Pastor Tyler could probably help you. Um, any of our elders, uh, Pastor Jerry, can help you know uh, some books uh, to teach on being more outwardly and with people. Um, in training them uh, in the knowledge of Christ. Anybody got an answer for that question? Hold on, the hands just flew up. That's wonderful. Uh, ben, speak loud. So study the scriptures. Stay in the scriptures. Um, and and um, there are a number of, of scripture passages. Yes, Joel. Okay, Matt's going to be teaching a Sunday school. Matt and Joel will be teaching a Sunday school class that we need to get you signed up for.
You know, we talked about how we get impatient. Philip. Oh, prayer. And then it becomes God's responsibility. It's his, it's his world. It's his church. It is not our church. We, are not, we do not grow the church. We plant seeds and God waters and provides the increase. Uh, does anybody remember what Martin Luther said about prayer? You remember? That he said about prayer? Okay, the one I really remember, and I tried my best. I'm not an artist, but I tried to draw it in my journal. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the hand of God. Now, what were you going to say? You had your hand up. Yeah, we're just servants. Uh, we're just servants of the master. And, and for us to re- re- just remember that we're servants together and we should work together. We should pull on the rope in the same direction, the, the direction Christ said pull, or push on the load in the same direction. But when we start to push against each other, the church, there are 30,000 Christian denomination claimants, 30,000. There's disagreement. Lots of disagreement. Can you imagine if there were 30,000 that were all the denominations, not buildings, that worked together all the time on the, on the major issues? So let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray that we are trained. Yes.
That's great. Thank you for sharing. We, we've got to point in the same direction. Christ has already told us which direction. Love one another and love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, in reverse order. And so I think if we ever stop focusing on the same objective, Satan is going to move in and have his, have his fun. You break up. What's the old saying? United we stand, divided we fall. There's a lot of old sayings that are right. Many of them came from the scriptures originally. So we just use the Bible to determine if there's a question about the direction to push or pull, and we move forward, right, the best we can. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word and what it teaches us to work together uh, as we push and pull uh, to accomplish your purposes in this world. We pray now, Lord, for Pastor Jerry, and we're thankful for his safe return. I pray that you would bless him in this uh, message, that he would speak to us words that you uh, bring before your throne uh, for us to receive and to go out into the world and evangelize with them. We love you and we praise you and thank you for everything. In Christ's name, for his sake, amen.